0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. All right. Um, this winter, as we are, we are looking at a series on spiritual health and spiritual fitness, what does it mean to be a healthy Christian? We've been talking about that there are six W's in a healthy Christian's life. Six qualities that a healthy Christian would be able to display. And these are good for us because we can check our life. You know, how are we in these six areas? Are there things that maybe we aren't doing that we should be doing that would be part of a healthy Christian life? And because repetition is the mother of all learning, at the beginning of each message in this series, I've been going over these six W's. And so I'm going to do that. Uh, Go ahead and get your outlines out. And if you don't have an outline, feel free to go to the back uh, by the doors and grab an outline. But here they are. First of all is the Word. A healthy Christian knows God through the applied Word of God under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In that week when we looked at this point, I really challenged you, get into the Bible more than just on Sunday. In fact, read the Bible on your own. And it's been neat. I've talked to a few people who actually took up a Bible reading challenge. And one guy was talking to me this week. He said, I am so thankful I started to do that because it seems like every day God has one verse in what I'm reading that directly applies to what I'm facing in my life. And I'm so thankful I've been able to get in God's word. And I hope that's a commitment you've all made and something that's regularly part of your life. Secondly, we looked at worship. A healthy Christian manifests a lifestyle of worship and prayer based on close daily communion with God. We looked at the prayer is part of the healthy Christian's life like breathing is part of human life. We breathe all the time. If you choose to stop breathing, it won't go well for you. And as Christians, we are praying all the time, whether that's out loud, whether that's in our heart, whether that's things we're thankful for because God's been good to us, or in times we're desperate because we're needing God's help through life. We pray all the time. We also looked at worship that week. And you'll remember that uh, worship is not just something we do on Sunday. It's what we do every day of the week, living our lives to honor and please Jesus. Worship is also giving God the best because our God is the best, so proper worship means we give God the best in how we live and in how we do things. Last week, we looked at the next W, which was warmth. A healthy Christian engages in meaningful life-on-life relationships that reflect the love of God and leave people impacted and changed. And by warmth... That is not talking about temperature warmth that comes from a fire. We're looking, this is about relational warmth that comes from people who genuinely love and care for one another. We saw that the Bible says that Christians are known by their love for one another. That when people from the world come into the church, they should find a body of believers that is a little bit of relational heaven on earth where people genuinely love and care for one another. They also have found their gifts and their shapes, and they desire to serve one another and play their role in the body. That's uh, what a healthy Christian warmth looks like. Next is witness. A healthy Christian lives under the commission of Christ to win and grow disciples, integrating outreach into all aspects of life. That'll be what we're going to look at this morning. And then after that, there's two more. Works. A healthy Christian builds up the body of Christ through their spiritual gifts and passions. And wisdom, a healthy Christian manages their skills, money, and time, putting them under the lordship of Christ. So this morning, we're going to look at um, the idea of witness. We're going to look at this, series, or this topic through a series of questions. These are the questions we're going to look at. Number one, what does the Bible say about witnessing? Number two, do I need special training to be a witness? Number three, how can I be an effective witness? And lastly, we're going to look at if I lead someone to Christ, what kind of responsibilities do I have for them once I lead them? So let's jump right in. First question, what does the Bible say about witnessing? The Bible has two big, important commands. They're known as the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Maybe you're familiar with the Great Commandment. It's simply this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus follows it up and saying, by the way, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to boil down all of God's commandments, the two simple things, it's love God with all your worth and then love people the same way you would love yourself. Those are the great commandments. But there's also the great commission, and that is found at the end of Matthew. Let me read this to you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, Jesus commands us to share the good news of what Jesus has done for us with others. And not just to share that good news, but to build people up and teach them more about that good news. And I want to point out, we often call this the Great Commission it's not the great suggestion that sharing the gospel with people who don't know about Jesus is a commandment of what we're supposed to do, not a suggestion that what we may do. In fact, I was thinking about this. If someone who knows about Jesus Christ intentionally never speaks about Jesus Christ when they're around those who need to hear about Jesus Christ, maybe that's an indication that their spiritual health isn't that good because Christians must and should share about Jesus. Now, one of the problems when it comes to sharing about Jesus is it's really hard when you're trying to tell people about Jesus who are far from Jesus. Anybody had that awkward moment where you start to talk to people and they look at you like you're speaking a foreign language, like you just stepped into Klingon world or something and you're like, how can we talk to you about Jesus? This is not gonna go well. Well, the good news is this. When we tell people about Jesus, we are not doing this alone. We are not doing this without help. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But speaking about his uh, apostles. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's the good news. When we go to share about Jesus, and it seems like we're speaking a foreign language, you and I need to know that the Holy Spirit in those times is helping us to share. Not only that, but he is taking the hearts of people that are listening, and he is breaking up the hard ground in their hearts. He is softening their hearts and making the good news of the gospel more penetrable to them. So even though we seem totally inadequate for the task of telling people about Jesus, in which case we truly are, we're not doing it alone. The Holy Spirit is helping us. And I think that's very important to know. Second question. Do I need special training to witness, or can anybody do it? Well, if you're able to get some training on how to share the good news about Jesus, that's good. I think that's always helpful to take courses like Evangelism Explosion other things that I hope we can offer as a church so we can witness more effectively. But just because we don't have experience in a course on how to share about Jesus doesn't mean we can't share about him. A few years ago, when we still lived in our old neighborhood, it was a Saturday night and Cindy and I went to bed early. Well, of course we go to bed early on Saturday because we have church the next day. Makes sense. Well, we completely missed everything that happened, literally, right in front of our house that night, I Might mean, be like six feet off the end of our driveway. And two of the guys in the neighborhood ended up really drunk they were belligerent, the police were called. When the police approached these two guys, one of them took a chair and whacked the cop over the head. The other uh, picked the cop up and threw him in the bushes. And you can imagine what the police response was in the next five minutes. Police came from everywhere, completely swarmed the block. The two guys were arrested and the one police officer went to the hospital. Now. A little later that week, I had the police show up in my office over here at church. And they wanted to know, know, like, hey, what did you see? Uh, What did you hear? How did this all go down? And they figured I'd be the perfect witness because it was right in front of my house. But quite honestly, everything I just told you is secondhand information. Because Cindy and I went to sleep early that night and literally slept through the whole thing. I was tired, but when the police came to me wanting me to be an eyewitness, I didn't need special training to be an eyewitness, did I? All I had to do was tell them what I saw and tell them what I heard and what I had experienced. And folks, that's all it means for you and me to be an eyewitness of Christ. Look what uh, John says in the beginning of First of John chapter 1, verse 1 that which was from the beginning, which you have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John says, I'm just telling you my firsthand eyewitness testimony of Jesus. Folks, all of us, no matter how mature we are in Jesus or how new we are in Jesus, have the ability to do that to our friends. We can say All I can tell you is what happens when I read the Bible. It seems like verses in the Bible apply directly to my life. I can tell you that when I trusted in Jesus, my heart changed. My life changed. My desires changed. Like God just reorientated me. I, I can't answer all your theological arguments. I can't answer all your deep questions. But I can tell you my story and how Jesus changed my life. And that's all it really means to be an eyewitness. That's what we can do. Incidentally, I should say this. The next point is there is an urgent need for our witness and to not be quiet. This comes from Matthew chapter 9, 37 through 38. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is saying to his disciples, not everyone you tell about Jesus will respond positively for Jesus. But many people will. The question is, will you tell them the good news? We need more laborers for the harvest. The harvest is ready it's just a matter of, will we take it in? In our world today, there's a lot of social pressure in us to keep quiet about Jesus, not to bring Jesus into conversations. And when we do the socially, people make us try and feel awkward and weird for doing that. But the same thing that Jesus said here is true in our world. There's a lot of people out there who need to hear the gospel, and who will respond positively to the gospel if we will just speak. The thought came to mind as I was writing this point about some people in football right now who are very outspoken about Jesus, using all kinds of interviews to share about Jesus, like Brock Purdy in the the 49ers. Almost every interview he has, he is telling people about Jesus, inserting it into the conversation. How about DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills? That was the guy that had the heart attack on the field. Beforehand, he was known for his positive witness of Jesus on his team. And after the heart attack, that's been all over the news. He's talking about how God is in his life and God has changed his life. He's being a positive witness for the nation. And I'm thinking, if these football players can use the platform that God gave them to share about Jesus why can't I share about Jesus with the platform God's given me? Wherever he's put us, he's given us a platform. Just simply to be a witness about how Jesus has changed our life. Next point. Uh, when I'm witnessing, or, or excuse me, I am witnessing even when I don't try. If people know we're a Christian, and we decide we're not going to talk about Jesus, we're not going to share about Jesus, by choosing not to talk about Jesus, when people know that we love Jesus, we are inadvertently being a witness, just not a really good one. (laughs) Because the truth is, everyone knows that we share with people at work, and share with our friends, and share with our neighbors the things that are important to us, the things that are exciting to us, the things that are closest to our heart if you're going on a vacation to Hawaii this winter, you've been telling people because you're excited to go. If you have a new car, you've told people because you're excited about that. But if we never speak about Jesus, what does it say how we truly feel about Jesus? There's not much excitement there. There's not much enthusiasm there if we never speak about him because it's saying he's not that important to our heart. So we're a witness, even if we don't speak. Thirdly, suffering for Christ is actually part of witnessing. I don't know if you guys saw this story in the news this week. It was about an old man who wore a MAGA hat. I even forget the city that he's in. He's choosing to ride the bus. And this old guy, he's a veteran, and he rides the bus, and he has his MAGA hat on, and he starts getting roughed up by some young guys in the bus and thankfully the bus driver stops and and defends the old guy and he's like well that's okay in fact this is the third time he's been beat up on the bus for wearing his MAGA hat and I thought to myself wow here is a guy who's willing to suffer for his political views and quite honestly in the big scheme of things politics is not nearly as important as Jesus, is it? If he's willing to suffer for his MAGA hat, boy, I should be willing to suffer for speaking about Jesus. That I can tell people about the fact that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and that God cares about them. They may not wanna hear that. They may try to make me feel, belittle, they try to make me feel small, but I'm responsible to speak about that, and it's okay if I, if I suffer for that. In fact, if you think about this, isn't suffering normal for Christians? If we don't suffer for sharing Christ, that's actually quite abnormal for Christians. In your mind, flip through your Bible, did Jesus suffer for speaking the truth? Did the apostles suffer for speaking the truth? Every single one of them died horrendous deaths for speaking the truth. Paul was flogged. Paul was beaten. Paul was imprisoned for speaking the truth. In fact, sometimes this guilty feeling goes over me. If I'm not suffering, at least in some way or a little bit because I'm speaking about Jesus, maybe I'm not speaking for Jesus loud enough. Maybe I need to be more vocal for Jesus because I should expect to experience some resistance. I should expect to experience some pushback when we share about Jesus because that is always the reaction when we do that. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of encouragement, by the way, when suffering comes. And that comes from 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And I want to key into what is the very first part of that verse, the quote that I gave you. It says, if we suffer because we have spoken about Jesus, we are blessed because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. Here is what happens when we tell people about Jesus and we feel alone and we feel hurt. You need to know that God promises to be especially close to you in those times. You will grow in Christ amazingly fast in those times. You'll experience great comfort from Christ in those times. Your best times of your walk with Christ will be when you are experiencing some suffering for Christ, which is why he says... If you are suffering for Jesus, you are actually in a blessed position in your relationship with God. So be encouraged. There is a reward for being vocal enough that we actually get some pushback in our relationship with Christ. Another point I should mention to this. Witnessing is engaging in a cosmic battle. This thought has been extremely helpful to me because oftentimes when I've talk to people about Jesus, and I get this really strong pushback, where people are nasty to you, and they're hurtful to you, I often say, like, why are you reacting this way? Why are you so adamantly against Jesus? It doesn't make sense to me. If I talked to you about a sports team, you wouldn't react that way. Why do you react against Jesus? Understand, There is a cosmic battle going on out there. Satan and his demons have footholds in people whose lives are far from God. And when you tell people about Jesus and they can hear about how to be saved, Satan and his demons love to use those footholds to stir people up against us so they cannot hear the truth about how to be saved. This is why we should expect this kind of pushback when we speak about Jesus. You could almost literally see the spiritual battle taking place when this happens. If you've ever experienced this, you'll know exactly what I mean. The Bible reminds us of this. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what happens when we share about Jesus. The third question I'm going to answer here for you is a question we're going to spend probably most of our time focusing in on because I think this is the question that is most pertinent to those of us who are here this morning. It's this, how can I be an effective witness Most of us are willing to suffer for sharing about Jesus. We know we can share our story about Jesus, but how can I do this effectively? First thing we need to know is the church is foundational to effective witnessing in our community. Our local church, Crosswinds Church, has a reputation in our community and that reputation sets a foundation for how we are witnessing. Now, for instance, say you're part of a church where uh, the financial guy embezzled a bunch of money. That gets around in the community. If you're part of a church where a worship guy had an affair with a secretary, that gets around in the community. And you start telling a friend or a neighbor about Jesus, and then you say, oh yeah, and I go to this church, and instantly they have that connection or association. Oh yeah, the church that's a dumpster fire. Like it shuts you down in a real hurry when you start to talk about Jesus, because I don't want anything to do with that kind of a a church. I'll give you an example. Uh, Before I came here to Crosswinds, I served, in, in previous times, I served a church, and they had a reputation for having extremely short pastoral tenures. Most pastors lasted two to three years. And so I would go, and I would talk to people in the community. I would meet them, and I could see this happen. I would tell them about Jesus. I'd invite them to church. They'd say, well, where? And I would say the name of the church, and instantly their eyes would roll. I'm like, well, what's wrong? And you'd find out, well, they knew the history of the church. I was new there, so I didn't have to worry about that history. But they did and that history drugged down my ability to witness. It drugged down my ability to share. Uh, Let me tell you, though, how Crosswinds, at least for me, has been different. Uh, Last weekend, I was seeing Pat Olson before she had some surgery on her foot on Sunday um, up in the hospital, and I'm visiting her, talking to her, and the nurse comes in, and Pat, you know, Beth, she's She's vivacious, she's talkative, and she says, oh, this is my pastor, and he's coming to visit me before surgery and to pray with me. And she says, oh, where is he the pastor of? And he said, Crossman's Church. Instantly she said, I've heard so many good things about that church, I've been wanting to visit it. I'm like, wow, witnessing just got easy right now (laughs) because of the reputation of the church in the community. So that is incredibly important which is, by the way, one of the things we often talk about is good works creates goodwill, which opens the door to hearing the good news. And as we get back into this spring and as we finish up our construction in Spencer, we're going to try and go back to doing as many good works as we can in the community, to try and creating a positive vibe, a positive feeling with people about Crossman's Church in the community, even more so, because that helps our ability to witness, tell people about Jesus. Second thing, the credibility of my life is an important part of my witness. If we're somebody who's irritable, if we're somebody who's nasty, if we're somebody who's difficult, if we're somebody who's dishonest, I want you to realize the people around us will notice And our irritability and our dishonesty will make our testimony about Jesus less believable. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, that we have to be perfect people. None of us are going to be perfect people. But Christians can still have a good testimony. It depends on how they handle their sin. It depends on how they handle their flaws and mistakes. Most people in this world, when they mess up, they hide it. Christians handle it differently. We own it. We said, "Hey, it was my fault. I messed up. I'm asking Jesus to forgive me, but I also sinned against you. I'm asking you, will you please forgive me? If there's something kind of restoration that we can make to make the relationship right." As Christians, we do those things. So even if we mess up and we don't handle ourselves perfectly, the way we handle our sin, by confessing it, not just to Jesus, but to other people who we've sinned against and trying to make restoration for that, that creates a positive witness in the community from the credibility of our life. What happens if the challenge we have is our work environment? What happens if we work in a difficult work environment? How do we have a positive witness in a difficult workplace? First Peter gives us instructions on that. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So you're a Christian, you're at work, people are belittling you, They don't respect you because you're a Christian. Peter says, You know how you put that to silence? You do really good work. You do an amazing job. You stay extra long if you have to. Your quality is great. Your attitude is positive. You're on time. In fact, by doing good work, you put to silence the criticism that's leveled against you because you're a Christian. You know, sometimes, when you work hard, even if you do good work, you don't get treated with respect. You don't end up getting the salary that you think you probably should deserve, and the salary that you're trying to earn. And I've talked to my own sons about this. You know, they say, "Hey, I, I'm a low man on the totem pole, and people sometimes aren't real positive about me. I'm doing my best, but where does this go?" And here's my words to them, and I'll say it to you. Cream always rises to the top, but sometimes it takes a little time. The cream rises to the top, but it takes a little time. Just keep doing good work, just keep being faithful at work, just keep giving a positive attitude at work, giving good quality at work, and over time you will rise to the level of your competence. That's always the way it seems to work. So we've seen that when it comes to being an effective witness, the witness of the church and the community is foundational. Our personal integrity and how we work and how we operate is next of importance. Number three, the law of God is an important part of my witness. Oftentimes, when it comes to telling people about Jesus, we like to tell them, well, Jesus has changed my life. He's really made me positive. Uh, he's taken care of my depression. And then we sort of use this phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's true, but it's not the full gospel. It's not enough information. Let me turn you to Luke chapter 18. And you don't have to turn there in your Bibles. Just, if you know the story, I'll just, recount it to you. It's a story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes running up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus doesn't say, well, just trust in me. I love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. What Jesus does is he immediately turns him to the law. This is what he says, Luke 18, 20 you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and notice this, and he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Oh, I've got the Ten Commandments down, I've never violated any of them. Is that true? The rich young ruler didn't see himself as a sinner, in need of a savior, did he? He saw himself as a good person looking for Jesus as some life improvements. That's not the gospel, folks. The gospel is we're sinners, fully deserving the lake of fire, and we desperately need a savior. Unless we share the law of God, the gospel of God doesn't make much sense. Now, what does Jesus say about some of these things? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We may not have murdered somebody with our hands, but we can murder people in our heart. And Jesus says, that counts. Or the next set of verses. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, what you're doing in your heart matters too. In fact, um, Paul summarizes it this way. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Isaiah says this is what happens. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear If we're going to be an effective witness and a truthful witness and tell people about Jesus, it's not just God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's the Bible tells us that we're sinners. We're far from God, and our sin has separated us from God because the sins of our life are not just the external things we do, but the internal things of our heart And we desperately need a savior because we cannot save ourselves. That part that I just told you cannot be absent from a gospel presentation for it to be effective. We must include God's law and the grace that we so desperately need from Jesus. The next thing I want to tell you is something that maybe this would be a little bit of a push for some of you the lordship of Jesus is also an important part of my witness. Let's go back to the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus says this to the rich young ruler after he gave the law. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Is Jesus telling us that we should sell everything we have when we follow him? No, he's not saying that to us. But what he is doing is he's saying to this rich young man, that if you're going to follow me, I have to be in charge of your life you are not in charge of your life. I'm not just going to be your Savior, but I also have to be your Lord. I'm in charge. Today, many people are excited to have Jesus as the one who saves them from their sin, but they're not real excited to have Jesus fully in charge of their life. They want to do what they want to do, And Jesus' role is to be a little genie, a little assistant to help them accomplish what they want in life, not what God says is important in life. I want you to point out for you Romans chapter 10, verse 9, which is a very common gospel verse. It says this If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This doesn't say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior from sin. No, if you confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that He is in charge. I mean, He created everything, He died for you, He saved you. In the new creation, He is in charge of everything. He, he deserves to be Lord of our life. And by saying he's anything that is your savior, but he's not your Lord, it's not the full gospel. And you're not being effective in sharing it. Now when I say that, I know that many people, many modern Christians bristle. Jesus, give him everything. Really make him in charge of everything and obey everything he says? I don't think I want to do that. Because he's going to take all the fun out of life. Jesus is going to ruin my life if I actually had to obey everything he said. That's not true. Please listen to me. If Jesus loves you so much that when we deserve the lake of fire, he died in our place for our sins. He made us the most blessed beings in the entire universe why do you think anything he says in his word about how we live would be bad for us everything he says in his word about how we live is good for us it's for our best because he loves us no I didn't say it wouldn't be hard oh yes many things he says are very hard but they're always for our good and we have to believe that Let me give you uh, one example, which deals with the modern sex life. The Bible says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all people, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. In other words, keep sex in marriage, not before marriage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, what is sexual immorality? It's the Greek word pornea, which is any sexual activity outside of one man and one woman inside of the marriage covenant. Today, in our culture, everybody's living together before marriage. Everybody's like, try before you buy. I talked to many young Christian adults, and it's like, well, everybody's doing it. But God says it's not pleasing to him, and God says it's not good for you. And God doesn't say that because he hates you. God says that because he loves you, because he wants what's best from you. Keep your sexuality inside of marriage, not before marriage. Now, this morning, if you're somebody who's living with your girlfriend or living with your boyfriend, what do you do about this? Simply repent. God, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to get married to this person. I need to make a commitment to this person. I need to agree to be faithful to this person for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, and in sickness and in health. Not just like we're trying before we buy, I'm going to commit to this person because that's what God says is right and that's what God says is best. And if he's Lord of your life, you'll believe him and that's what you'll do. Lastly, I'll go to this last point. To be effective, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit is an important part of my witnessing. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, and it says, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I mean, this is a farming thing. All the farmer does is scatter the seed, right? Does he grow the seed? Thank you, Tom. No, God is the one who grows the seed. Folks, when it comes to sharing about Jesus, it's not our responsibility to make people respond. Our responsibility is to tell them about Jesus, tell them about Jesus not just has a wonderful plan for your life, but he's also our savior from sin, and he also deserves to be the Lord of our life to be obeyed. We just tell them that, and we invite them to trust in him, but the response is in God's hands, not in ours. So if people don't respond positively, all you can say is, I've just been faithful. The Holy Spirit is the one who will change the person's heart in the right time and the right way. Which brings me to my last point, which I'll go through sort of quickly. If I lead someone to Jesus, what responsibilities do I have? And I was wondering about that, and what came to mind is in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, you are my spiritual children. I led you to Jesus and then you start to see the responsibilities he feels he has because he led them to Christ. So it says this, 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I led you to Jesus. Let's see what's the responsibilities he has to them. Number one, I am to love those I lead to Christ. He says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. If you lead someone to Jesus, your first responsibility to them is to just love them. That's not a mushy love. That's not an emotional love. It just simply means you make make time for them. You actually honestly care about them. You want to know them because now they are literally a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. So you you love them. Don't just forget about them. Secondly, I am to warn those I lead to Christ. 1 Corinthians 4.14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Admonish means to warn somebody with judgment in view. In other words, you say to somebody, hey, I just want you to know, if you keep up in this direction, it will not end well. It's the kind of warning you give to your children. You know, hey, I'm trying to correct you because I love you. It won't end well if you keep going in this direction. That's how we disciple. Thirdly, I am to spend time with those I lead to Jesus. Look what Paul says. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And also 1 Corinthians 4, 4 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. This means you invite this person into your life, and they're trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. They learn what it means to be a Christian by watching you. They learn what a healthy Christian marriage looks like by watching your marriage they learn what it means to like have a difficulty in a marriage and, a, and a, a conflict handled in a good way by watching your marriage. You bring them into your life. You spend time with them, you love them, and maybe you warn them, but they let, you let them see your life. And lastly, I am to teach those I lead to Christ, to remind them of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Obviously, there's some kind of follow-up in Bible study material. You notice I ended with that. I didn't start with that point because here's the thing. So many times when we lead someone to Christ, we say, oh, here's a booklet, and we walk away. That's not what follow-up is about. It begins with, I love you. I want you part of my life. And in that life relationship, that's when we start to talk about the Bible more. Now, this particular point, witnessing and following up by opening up your life, I just want you to know, is especially important to me, really close to me, reaching people with Jesus this way. I grew up in a Christian home. My wife didn't. She grew up in a home that was very far from God. But in high school, one guy was sort of courageous and he gave her a four spiritual laws track And she said, I wasn't interested. And she put it in her stuff and sort of forgot about it and left it at home in her top dresser drawer. He felt, well, so much for being an effective witness. But in her 20s, at a really hard part in her life, she pulled that gospel tract out. She read it. The Holy Spirit softened her heart, and she got down on her knees and trusted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And then she went to a church not too different from Crosswinds. And there was an older couple in the church when she came there and said she had just given her heart to Christ. And they said, you're gonna come over our house, be part of our life once a week, we're having you over for dinner. And for three years, they had her over to dinner once a week. They opened the Bible with her. They prayed with her. They opened their life to her. And for the first time in her life, she saw what a healthy Christian marriage looked like. She had never seen one before. And three years after they began, I met her. And I found an incredibly transformed woman. I am incredibly indebted to a guy in high school who shared a gospel tract with her and found himself rejected. I'm indebted to an ordinary older couple who took her into their lives and spent, opened their lives and spent three years of pouring their life into her. And today she's my wife. Folks, never underestimate the power of our simple witness with the Holy Spirit working behind the scenes. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that why it seems to be so hard to share the gospel effectively. All we need to do is share our story, all we need to do is share something as simple as a gospel tract. And you, Holy Spirit, will take those seeds in your time and in your way, you will germinate them. and That people will be brought to new life because of our faithful, though sometimes weak, witness and testimony for you. May we be a church that opens our arms and opens our lives to new Christians you may bring among us. Where we just bring them into our lives and we do life with them and we love on them and that you may mature them as we pour ourselves into them. We ask this in Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.